1: Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, November the eleventh, two thousand and fifteen, and you are listening to the Talking Comics podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Mr. Bob Reyer. Hey ho! And once again on the line with Mr. C. Say. <laughs> <laughs> Steve is—he just—he's very maniacal. We don't—we don't know why. He got some victory (laughs) that we we don't know about, and he just... It's actually because Steve is one of the top generals in the war on Christmas, along with Starbucks. I I
2: didn't know (laughs) that.
0: Yes, yes, everything is falling into place.
2: What is your battle plan?
0: (laughs) My battle plan is to first change the coffee cups of the uh, uh, highest-ranking caffeine-dispensing coffee chain in the world... Piss everyone off collectively, and then move on to the Chick Fil A's. That's phase two.
2: Gotcha. Oh, gotcha. I like man. it. I like it. Yeah. yeah. No, there's so. there's apparently flashback where there are people going to go into Starbucks and say that the name is you know Santa Claus and Kris Kringle, mm-hmm. so that there has to be Christmassy stuff on the mm. oh, people.
0: I I'm not trying. Look, I'm not trying to, to start any fires or anything, but like Christmas and the holiday spirit and everything is supposed to be something that's like in your heart and something that you, you spread onto other people. Mm. If your problem is that about changing coffee cups and or rearranging a uh, Christmas display in a mall where you take your kids to go see Santa and it's not Christmassy enough, you might want to reevaluate how you approach the holidays.
1: (laughs) There's two, I have two minds, right? I, I think that I understand the argument that like Come on! Is a reindeer really offensive to anybody? You know, right. I, I, under- <laughs> I, I I understand the idea of like you know it's we're, you know we're supposed to be kind of a secular society and, and Christmas is it, you know at its root a, a religious holiday. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think that you know images of Santa Claus and they're the least religious things in the entire world. Right. They're, they're in fact pretty much marketing in a lot of ways um and so i can understand why people be like come on people get a thicker skin it's not that big of a deal you know if if whatever but i will the other thing i'll say is that you can't expect any corporation or brand to want to have any sort of blowback against them at all so their whole goal is do nothing offensive in the entire world (laughs) so of course if they feel like there's any sort of hint that they will have controversy about something they put on their cups they're going to take it off the funny thing is that they have more controversy now probably for taking it off than they right. would have if they had left it on but so I, under, I can understand it kind of both in in, in both ways I, I i think that personally i don't care like you were saying steve like it's one of the things where like i, I christmas to me is something that i, I if i i celebrate it, that's awesome and i will decorate my house to the to to, to to the nines and i will do whatever i want to do and you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff i don't need to see you know those images everywhere i go uh that's just it doesn't bother me, obviously, when I do because I celebrate Christmas, but I, it doesn't bother me that they're not there
2: either. Yeah. No, I'm in the same boat. I am a ridiculous oxymoron, a practicing atheist. <laughs> I've been for 50-odd 50 50 odd years. And Christmas is a lovely time of the year. And for those people who want to celebrate religiously, be my guest. Right. Uh, <clears throat> Working in retail for all these years, it's, it's the line from Glen Gary, Glenn Ross if you don't know the shot, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Having been corrected before mm-hmm. years and years ago, it's to someone, you know, it's happy holidays. Mm. It's not trying to be offensive, it's not the war on Christmas, yeah. it's trying to do the right thing. If I know someone's yeah. Jewish, Christian, Muslim, mm. whatever. It's happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa, mm. Happy Festivus, whatever else we <laughs> want to say, and we you just go for it that way. Mm. I'd be the first person as a gadabout man about town curmudgeon <laughs> to scream and yell about. There's a baby Jesus in the mall. Who cares <laughs> if it makes 90% of other people happy and doesn't offend me who gets offended at everything. Yeah. Uh, g- grow a pair of people. Instead. Yeah, I mean, yeah.
0: <laughs> like my whole thing, like winter itself as a season is a very draining time of the year, right? Like it's stressful. The holidays are, uh, you're, you're, you're blowing more money than you normally would. You have to plan, you have to save just from an energy perspective. I wouldn't want to take my energy and invest it in in something yeah. like that. There are other ways to approach it, and there are other ways that you can celebrate, and there are other places you can go. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've been spending way too much time on Facebook this past weekend, so <laughs> yeah. it was on my mind.
1: Uh, Hugh, who's listening live right now, just texted me, and he said, um, there's a giant Christmas tree in the huge shopping mall in Dubai right now. I don't think anyone needs to worry about offending folk with, folks with Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, it's probably
2: a thousand feet tall.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, like I, I, it doesn't matter to me either way because I don't like wrap myself up in in what uh, how other people celebrate it or whatever. I do think like it's like reindeer and Santa Claus. Like there's nothing. They're they're actually more pagan symbols. No, the Christmas and,
2: tree is certainly, yeah. yes. So, oh, certainly. It, yeah,
1: so it's funny to me that, it's funny to me on both ends because people who would com- people who c- complain about them being too related to Christmas, which is religious, they're not religious symbols. And people who are very religious are complaining because they got taken off the coffee, coffee yeah, cups. Yeah. But they're not religious symbols either. You yeah. know? The, the, they're never going to put a baby Jesus on on a, on no. a coffee cup, um, because it's just not what it's going to happen. We're 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 a secular country. We're not a religious yeah. country. But I think it's a it's an interesting and it's funny to say from afar. Like it, I get a little bit annoyed by the hubbub around it. But I think that it's a um, entertaining hubbub at times because it's just a ridiculous thing it to is. get angry about. Look, well, it's,
0: it's, <laughs> it's just so overblown. Like yeah. I, people are telling me that, like, well, you're not a parent, so you don't know. And, but like your reaction. Is insane. People, <laughs> the the language that you use when you describe it's an atrocity. It's <laughs> yeah. it's a you know the unmitigated. Are you what? Come on. Yeah. There's another mall. I could throw a rock and find you another Santa Claus.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. The, oh yeah. That whole stuff. Yeah. That, that's. I mean, again, like if if it's a if it's a private business you know like the mall is all, all private co- yeah. you know, owned by, it's owned by a, a private corporation if they want to put a santa there they're you know it's not like no one's telling them they can't it's just one of the yeah. it's just they decided not to which i mean i don't really understand that that much i don't understand why you would do that but i'm sure you can find another santa claus t- to bring yes. to bring another random man who's dressed in a costume where you can put a, you can
2: put your child on his lap and he can ask him for toys now, i don't remember <laughs> there being complaints about they still have the Easter Bunny. Show up in every mall. It's true, but and we haven't a... got we
1: haven't gotten to Easter yet this year. Though okay, but next year we'll, we'll see what happens
2: on Easter. Is that some more yeah, religious holiday than Christmas? At some, it, oh yeah,
1: very much yeah. so. And it definitely it definitely is has more religion still in it yes. than than Christmas does. Obviously, Christmas has become a very commercialized holiday and something that you know I have friends who are Jewish who have a Christmas tree because it's just yeah. fun and it's it's nice to have. You know, so um, we'll, we'll see we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens around Easter. We'll check back in yes. with yeah. with. Uh, with Steve about his war on Easter. Uh,
0: Easter bunny and his his dead eyes, <laughs> on that suit that he had. You go and he's sitting on his lap and there's nothing there. Anyway. Okay. Just a, just a you, I, would be,
1: I would be more concerned if I sat on his lap and there was something there. Um, so uh, we're going to move off the war on Christmas and we're going to move on to talk about some comic books. Uh, we have a book of the week this week, which is our shared book of the week, which is uh, James Bond 007. I don't even... Ver, Verger... Yeah, yeah. Bar- Varg Var- Varger, I don't know. Um V A R G R. Um <laughs> which is written by Warren Ellis uh with art by Jason Masters, Guy Major on colors and Simon Boland on letters and it's from Dynamite. Uh obviously Spectre just opened this weekend to a lot of money um and mixed reviews but we will we'll be talking about that uh for our shared book of the week uh that was my pick obviously now also, obviously we have our um single books of the week as well but of course we're going to start out with our lightning round um so i'm going to put three minutes on the clock steve i'll give you the option do you want to follow bob or do you want to go first
0: um i'll go first i'm going to actually switch my um i wrote you an oh. email i'm going to switch one of my books okay uh, for this week
1: all right so changing yeah. up at the last minute, you have 3 of those minutes to tell okay. us why these books are some of your favorites of the week. Okay. Uh,
0: so I checked out a uh, a webcomic, actually, long-running webcomic uh, from Thomas Seidel called Gunner Krig Court, and uh, I actually am reading it in uh, volume form, and it was printed out by Arkea or published by. Uh, really super quick. It's an all-ages um, fun little story of a girl uh, named Antimony who's kind of the Harry Potter of this webcomic where she goes to this kind of supernatural magical school and makes friends. She makes friends with the dead. She makes friends with ghosts and with shadows and her roommates. And there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on uh, inside the school. It's really neat. It's very harmless. Um, the art really isn't my thing, but the the way the stories are structured when you, it's broken up into chapters that when you keep reading all a bunch of little stuff that you, just read and dismissed start to come up and you start to kind of connect the pieces and you realize that there's more going on in the school than you'd first thought um it's updated twice a week and you can read it at gunnercrigcourt.com uh, it's g u n n e r. K-R-I-G-G. Um, and like I said, it's it's for all ages. Anybody can read it. And it's it's cute and it's fun and um, there are 55 chapters of it. So I'm going to keep Ooh. going with it. Uh, my next book is Unfollow Number 1. It's a Vertigo book. Uh, came out this past week. You can actually uh, go to TalkingComics.com where I wrote a full review.
1: Don't go to TalkingComics.com. TalkingComics.com.
0: Whoa, sorry. <laughs> um, so Unfollow was really cool. Um, basically, a... a billionaire mogul who uh, invented an app and and is pretty much like the Steve Jobs of the future, he's dying and he sends out to 140 of his users uh, an application that's basically going to give them like $120 million, but they have to meet him on this reclusive island that he keeps. And you come to find out that there's more to meet more than meets the eye. Definitely worth your time to check out the first issue. And really quick before I run out of time, uh, "Monstrous" from Marjorie Lou and Sana Takeda was absolutely positively beautiful. Um, Basically, witches that have existed for a long time, there's bad magic that's happening in the world, and even the worst of witches aren't able to defeat it, and one witch in particular infiltrates another group to kind of avenge her mother and get some answers for things that happened to her as a child. The artwork is positively some of the best that I've ever seen Um Really high fantasy, gorgeous, gorgeous, almost uh, J.H. Williams-level stuff, uh, and a little bit of Shadow of the Colossus in terms of uh, colorization and presentation of the world and stuff like that, and uh, it was wonderful, and there's also a review of that for uh, on TalkingComicBooks.com that I wrote, so right. go and check it out for my full thoughts. That's my lightning round.
2: Perfect. Awesome. Three minutes. Yes. Yeah. I saw some highlights of Monstrous at a panel at New York City Comic Con. It did look... Pretty amazing.
0: I positively saying. loved it. I mean, three minutes isn't a whole lot to you know. You got to cram in a bunch of stuff, but it's just it's positively gorgeous. It's so. I mean, you open this and you flip through it, and I mean, if your jaw doesn't drop, I don't know what you're what you're into, man. But um it's highly detailed. The world is huge. The the, the lore and the story. There's a lot going on. It's like a Not even a double issue. It feels like a triple issue for the first one, and it was only uh, $4.99 from Image.
1: Wow, nice.
0: Yep. Uh, Like I said, full review on the site. Um, I'm gonna try to write more each week. If you guys are interested, check those out and check out everybody else's reviews too. They killed it this past week. There's lots of uh, there's lots of good stuff on the site right now. Yeah, I
1: saw uh, Matt put up a review of the book, our book of the week this oh. week. Yeah, so check that out too. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Nikki reviewed the Vision. Yes. Um, we have collector's thing. We have a we had a bunch of stuff go up this week. Yes. It was a uh, productive, positive week.
1: It was a good week. Um, all right. Bob. Sure. Oh, sorry, Steve. Yeah. Monstrous number one, unfollowed number one, and what was the name of the webcomic? Ca-
0: web it's uh, Gunner Craig Court.
1: Okay, cool. All right.
2: Um, all right. You ready, Bob?
1: <coughs> yes. All right. You
2: have three minutes and go. <laughs> okay. Wonder Woman, The War Years, 1941 to 45 from Chartwell Books. It helps fill the gap left by DC who canceled their Golden Age Archive reprint series. Uh, this volume samples stories tied to the World War II theme and period, including Wonder Woman's first appearance in All-Star 8, newspaper strips, rare stories from Comics Cavalcade, PSAs, ads, a whole bunch of stuff, all tied together by essays from Golden Age aficionado and comics writer-editor Roy Thomas. In this series, are also uh, Superman and Batman volumes. You get 300 full-color pages for $24.95. Oh, wow. So it's just really great stories over Mm. there. While on the Wonder Woman track, Sensation 16 has a lead story by Coffin Hill's Caitlin Kittridge. And as you'd expect, it's a darker tale and set in Gotham City. Diana's leaving a chariot event when she sees a man being attacked by a monster. Now, because she's Wonder Woman, she sizes up the situation and ends up siding with the monster who's actually searching for missing children. Now, it's a character from way back we've seen. I won't say too much there. It'll be a surprise. But darker book, but fun guest stars because it is Gotham. And Diana does a whole lot of detective work, and that makes this a very engaging read. In the latest Howard the Duck number 1, Howard and Tara Tam, the squirrel-infused, shape-changing tattoo artist, are taking a Florida road trip, which is a Secret Wars necessity, I guess. And this might allow Howard to return home by using the abundant glove to open the nexus of all realities, the very gateway Howard traveled through to get here in the first place all those years ago. And there's a second story with Gwen Poole, for those interested mm-hmm. in such things. Then there's Paper Girls number two, which was just a fabulous extension of the plot points that made number one so gripping, with the mysterious elements piling on at a a really nice pace. All that said, it's the characterization of the Paper Girls that is the most special, as through Brian K. Vaughan's words, Cliff Chang's art, these characters are becoming more and more fully formed each each panel, really. And with another shock ending, I've gone to monthly on this, and I'm it's already on my pull list. Do yourself a favor. Jump on before you, you get to be like Saga that you can't catch back up <laughs> again. You're going to pick this up and absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. You good, Bob? You have 45 seconds.
2: Okay. Well, Star Trek New Visions, number nine. <laughs> it's the latest photo novel from John Byrne. Uh, ties into one of the most romantic episodes in, in the entire series called This Side of Paradise from the first season where on a planet where everyone's set a little free, Mr. Spock falls in love. mm Mm. so yeah so there's some threads here from that and ends in a very very touching little ending all right
1: Ooh. Still you, you still have 15 seconds right. oh no, well you're, d- you're done now Bob. we'll talk about we'll paper girls yeah we'll talk about paper girls uh i absolutely loved it um i totally yeah. agree totally agree with you i think that it it continues the 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 excellence of the first issue and you know brings the characters forward it gives you more identity on each of these people um i i I love how our sort of main character has um is is very nerdy and has like very nerdy Mm. interests and is able to reference things you you can tell she sort of speaks the way that my people that we know wouldn't speak would speak to other people um but i love that there's like complicated relationships going on i love that you know i love that they that, that the sort of ending sequence is very interesting because it's sort of um goes from one thing to a completely different thing as far as attitude of one of Mackenzie Mackenzie's mm-hmm. yeah. character which I which I really loved um and I just love how they're they're starting to figure out sort of what's going on in, in some ways without without other help and, mm-hmm. and it feels natural in, in some ways and I really love that
2: it doesn't seem like they're holding back on purpose mm. the things that are happening they're coming out in a natural yes, way. yes absolutely absolutely yeah Steve how about you
0: Oh, I really enjoyed it. I um, I'm loving that series. I love the fact that uh, in the in the story, this is not uh, spoiler territory, but th- like everybody's been kind of taken away uh, from the situation, with the exception of our central characters and maybe a few other people. And I'm really enjoying the progression of the town and the condition that it's in, and what's happening to it in conjunction with what's happening with the group, and the fact that there are other stakes, aside from the obvious, that are still happening within this small town or even just on their own road. Uh, I think it's awesome that it's up to, you know, these three young girls, or no, I'm sorry, five young girls to uh, solve the case. It's very Scooby-Doo in a way.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and the, the mystery stuff that's going it five on... It's four. It's four, I think, right? Okay. Isn't it four? I that's think it a, is. I think, I think you're it's right. Four. Yeah, I think it's four. Uh, I love the way that the... You know, there are some elements... There, I, I, first of all, I love that we talked about this in the first issue, but I love by the end how we're we are shown that it's going to be something other than what we expected, yeah. you know. Um, and this, this kind of continues that where it, it brings up the ideas about you know the it. Some people think it's the rapture. Uh, you know, some people think it's monsters. Some people think it's time travelers, mm-hmm. and, and you're not really sure kind of which of those things it is because they also sort have of have evidence to support what what's going on. But I love, too, that the fact that, you know, the very first couple pages, who we maybe thought was going to be our villains for the, the series, are suddenly scared of something and are running mm-hmm. away. And, and so, we're, again, we're thrown off base about what is what and what's going on. Um, And and I like that a lot about it. But I also like that, that much like, you know, those great sort of Amblin movies of, of the 80s, there's a balance here between let's try to figure out the hell's going on and we need to protect ourselves and, and figure out what's going on with our families and stuff like that. I love that there's... It's home and family. Yeah, there's yeah. a mix of it, which I like. I like that. I like it's not just, a, let's drop everything and do this, or let's drop everything and do that. There, there's a mix of it, and I, and I like that a lot about the book.
2: It was those bad copies of of Spielberg movies in that period that went that way. Yeah. Oh, kids just, they'll do something.
1: Yes. No, <laughs> no, they gotta go home.
2: They care about what's happening.
1: And I love the scene where they see the kid dressed as a yes. werewolf on the street because i love the reaction of the the the, the girls hanging back and not the ones going up to him mm-hmm. and like that sort of like this is really tense <laughs> I, it, it was just a very believable believable interaction between all of them it's it's a great great first two issues so, so far i uh, can't wait to see where it goes and cliff chang's art is is perfect it's yes. gorgeous and um really just fits into this time period and and the characterizations you know as far as artistically and facially are, are wonderful you really get a lot of personality in, in every in every panel and, and it's just both are working at the top of their games i think in 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 the series right now yeah so yeah. you need my list of stuff or you got it for what the titles.
2: oh no oh you, you can go ahead and read it. i'm you, i'm asking uh, you to read it so for the for the, for for the listeners. listeners oh so, I want so to it's them. wonder woman the war years from shortwell books mm. sensation 16 howard the duck number one paper girls number two and star trek new visions number nine
1: all right awesome all right so um here we go for me go so the first book i'm actually going to talk about is one that i did not love so much which was extraordinary x-men number one jeff lemire and umberto mm. ramos A beautiful book looks great i really enjoy what it looks like uh i just don't think it really finds its footing in in the first issue in any in any noticeable way uh there uh there's a lot of refer- references to an event something something that scott did um and i and and i'm not quite sure if it's talking about just generally what he did or there's some big event we haven't seen yet so i don't know what's going on with that so th- that seems like a catalyst for a lot of what's happening here um but even besides that uh it, it seem it falls too it falls too much into uh, very familiar X Men territory, which is characters saying, you know, why these, why do they hate us so much? You know, we're, we're persecuted mutants, and that's a very big part of the X Men. But it, it just felt like it was nothing nothing new to the equation yet. got uh, it, it's a beautiful, beautifully, uh, be- beautiful to look at some good interactions, but it just. It committed the worst into me is in the fact that it was kind of uninteresting to, to read through. Um, I'm hoping that it improves in, in the issues. I obviously love Jeff Lemire. I love Emberto Remo, So I'm hoping that the, the series gets better as it goes along. But the first issue just did not do it for me. Uh, I read uh, Klaus number 1, which is from uh, Grant Morrison and uh, Dan Mora. And uh, it was really gorgeous book. First of all, the art is unbelievably gorgeous. Uh, and it's funny because it... It has like the serious tone to it where it's like this, you know, uh, Santa Claus was this warrior wild man and there's some really horrible things happening in this world. This town has been overrun. There's this evil man, evil baron, like he won't let kids have any presents and, and they can't have any fun and he's has his thumb on everything um, and it's about this character who's like kind of liberate the town. Um, and it straddles that line between being sort of like the serious almost, you know, like conan type of story but also it has a lot of ridiculous stuff happening at the same time and i uh i, I enjoy that aspect of it um i'm not sure if it's something i'll read month to month or something i may I'll grab and trade but it was interesting and beautiful i gotta just reiterate again it's a beautiful book to look at a really really gorgeous thing um and i will say too i i, I, caught, I talked about the flash last week i got up an arrow this week and i think arrow's been great uh the, the last issue the last episode uh Uh, Matthew Ryan who played Constantine on the NBC show was actually on Arrow as John Constantine Uh, and it was a really excellent episode it introduced for the first time really any sort of like mystical magic into the Arrow universe we've had the Lazarus Pit before but this is the first time we've really dealt with like otherworldly stuff and any direct magic and it was really great and uh, um he, Ryan was awesome as as the character. I didn't watch the NBC show. It made me want to go and watch that, that, that one season of the show that exists. Uh, really great interactions were good between all of them, and I really liked how they've kind of loosened up the characters in a lot of ways this year while still keeping the sort of serious tone as well in, in other places. So, really enjoyable. Um, Steve, did you read Extraordinary X-Men? I did. What did you think of it?
0: I was not really taken by it mm. I um I kind of went into it not not with an attitude but kind of apprehensively in that um I was having a discussion with my girlfriend uh, before I read it earlier that evening and we were actually talking about Jeff Lemire. It's one of her uh favorite comic book authors and we were discussing the differences between him writing his superhero stuff versus him doing his own projects mm-hmm. and I just I got up to the whole thing of how I, I really think that he just, not that he doesn't do a good job with his superhero stuff, but that he shines more and I'm more likely to enjoy the work when he's doing, you know, his own vision, his own stuff. So rounding back to your question, I thought it was decent. Um, I love Humberto Ramos's art. I always do. I enjoy seeing him uh, do Spider-Man and other such things and the the fairy tale uh, comic that came out uh, earlier this year, but... There was really – there's nothing about it that hooked me, and there was one thing that was bothering me about it was they made reference to an event that happened involving Scott Summers.
1: Yeah, I was mentioning that at the beginning, yeah. I
0: have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I have no idea what they're talking about, and I thought that by the end of the issue, somebody would say something, or at least like I flipped to the beginning, and I'm like, well, maybe they catch you up really quick in the little, you know, this is what you missed before you read Extraordinary Expl- – And there was mm-hmm. nothing there. Mm-hmm. So I'm left wondering since I was reading all the X-Men stuff like did I miss an issue do I just not remember it and if it was that terrible of a thing and you brought it up twice why not use the second time to maybe even detail it a little bit and just give new readers with a number one issue like uh, some frame of reference
1: yeah I think it's something we haven't seen yet Steve I think right. it's I think it's a end of secret wars thing Well that
0: was yeah that was what um what Bronwyn had, uh, had said to me after yeah. I gave her my opinion. But the other thing that I thought was actually quite funny and totally me is that I picked up the book and I looked at the cover and all I really focused on was Storm. And I was like, oh, you know, cool, Jeff Lemire doing X-Men, I'll bring it home. And I didn't even look at the cover when I was reading it. So when I got to the last page, mm-hmm. I was all giddy and I was all like, oh, well, that's that's cool at least, like, yay, that's <laughs> awesome. And then I shut the comic to put it off to the side and it's right on, it's <laughs> right on the cover. And I was like, oh, oh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, I read about that. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, it's, it's Jeff Lemire. I might give it another issue or two. Um, I find it harder to leave some of the Marvel or DC books because I just, I don't make a habit of picking them up in trade when they do come out. Mm-hmm. So like I with Image and Valiant and stuff like that, and even with Boom or other Studios, it seems easier to uh pick up trades for me, but for some reason there's a block with the big two. So if I want to know if it gets any better, I might have to collect it for a while.
1: Right, yeah. I I I, I understand that. I'm kinda of in the same boat with, with with the big two books. Uh you know, I there's this idea, I mean the, the big idea that's introduced in the book, right, is that the Terrigen Mist. It doesn't affect. It turns in humans into humans. It doesn't affect humans at all, but it sterilizes or poisons mutants. Um, and so the big deal here is that right now, and not like it hasn't happened before, but right now every mutant on Earth is sterilized. So there's only the mutants that exist now, and so they kind of really have to batten down the hatches and 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 you know keep them keep each other safe and a big part of the book is storm trying to get you know young you know all new x-men jean gray back onto the team because she's left because she she knows if she stays with the x-men she's going to die like basically what's going to happen to her um and, and so there's some aspects there that are interesting it's just there's too much i think reliance on And oddly, like Steve was saying, there's this event that we don't know what happened, so we don't know the catalyst for a lot of what's going on. But there's also, uh, I think, too much of a a reliance on things on reiterating things that even people who have never read the X-Men before know about the X-Men because it's it's the central thesis of what the X-Men are. You know, it's like Spider-Man saying, like, you know, I'm doing this because my Uncle Ben died. You know, we're, we we everyone, yeah, we get everyone it. gets yeah. it at this point. Everyone – my mom knows that the X-Men are hunted, you know. The, hated and feared by a world
2: they're sworn to protect.
1: Exactly. You. So that, that's kind of stuff I think they need to move on from and, and – and so
2: I, that was what disappointed me about about the book. Um, now, what's your feeling about the attack on mutant kind? You know that the books are all going to get canceled, and because I mean the, it's the a ridiculous thing because there's, are there's seven
1: X Men right. books, so they're
2: not they didn't they didn't announce seven
1: X Men books with seven high profile teams, just cancel them all in like five issues. So that's not what's going to happen. I, I think that you're going to see. I think what what more is happening is that you're going to see a reduction of the X-Men's presence to make room for the Inhumans to be more important. Yes. Um, And in a, in a few years, that will they'll be, you know, maybe there'll be three X-Men books and five Inhuman books or three and three or whatever it might be. What it comes down to, if these books sell, yes. they'll keep selling and they'll yes. keep running with yeah. it. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I don't think that, yes, Marvel and Fox have like a contentious relationship or whatever, Um, but the Fox movies aren't, Fox X-Men movies aren't harmful to the X-Men brand. They're helpful to it. And and unlike what what they, I think, thought about the Fantastic Four thing that was going to happen. So we'll see what what happens going forward. I I don't know, um, but uh, I don't think... The uh, the decline of the X-Men, I think, is is not going to happen. It's just going to, there's maybe be less of them to make
2: more room for the humans to be bigger because Marvel has full control over the humans. We'll see. I think the reports of their death are greatly exaggerated. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That said, my poor fantastic four is dead. Yes.
0: <laughs> Can I actually for uh, interject for... for just a moment? Yeah, of course. Um, I talked about the amazing Spider-Man last week so I didn't throw it on my lightning round this week. Mm-hmm. But it was another super solid issue of that comic. But to that, Bob Yeah, I know. Uh, I know about I, it.
2: I've read an article, yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> yes. When no I when I get home you know, next yeah. week, I'll lend it to you. Uh it has a lot of Fantastic Four stuff and it's kinda great. <laughs> so I will I will let you borrow it and you Thank can you. You can get have a smile on your face when you <laughs> when you get to the end.
2: And then be angry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, good.
0: That's Absolutely. perfect.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Steve, are you caught up on Arrow? Uh, did you see it, the Constantine episode?
0: That's the only one I haven't seen. Oh, okay.
1: All right.
0: No. I just, uh, what the hell did I just rewatch? I don't know. No, I'm not. I, oh, I'm caught up with The Flash. Okay. And I just found out today, much to my dismay, half dismay, I have to now start watching The Walking Dead. Why? Did you hear the casting
1: announcement? What, Jeffrey Dean today? Morgan? Yeah. You have to, you're going to watch an entire show that I, you don't like just for one actor.
0: I love that man.
1: <laughs> okay. I
0: love, he's playing, he's playing Negan. I don't
1: like, know what that means, so. No,
0: okay. Nagan is, in my opinion, I'm not caught up on the book. I dropped off around like 109 or whatever. But to me, that was like the the most terrible person that they've ever faced in the comics to, to date that I know of and I've never seen him play like a real villain villain character. And just as an actor, I want to see what he does with that. So in order to watch that comfortably, I have to catch up. So really I rotten. watched last, last week's episode uh, with my girlfriend cause she watches it mm. and it was good. It was good. It was, it was very engaging. It, it had like some really sweet moments and um, it, a character showed up that uh, I really liked in the books. So, um, you know, whatever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's not a very nice person in Watchmen. No, he's not nice at all in Watchmen.
0: No, he's not. But, again, it's just the worst. (laughs) Like, I want to see him be wholly deceptive and just bashing skulls in. I I want to see what he does with that. So I like him a lot. Papa Winchester, Supernatural (laughs) all the way. And The Losers. All right. He was awesome in that movie.
1: All right. So, Steve, what do you got for your book of the week?
0: I have a book that I actually – it's funny. I mentioned it last week uh, with no intentions of finding it, picking it up, and then I went to the comic book store, and in the corner of my eye, I saw a book sitting all by itself in the dark horse section, and lo and behold, I found Pizu, the Mark of Evil. And uh, this is by Gabriel Bá. Becky Cloonan, Vasilis Lolos, and Fabio Moon. Um, This is an all-out, it's black and white. Uh, Becky Cloonan, I believe, is the artist throughout uh, the entire... They actually don't give you, like, who wrote it, who drew it. They're all listed equally on the cover. Like, there's no written by, art by, cover by, anything. So, uh, it looks like Becky Cloonan art. It is a through-and-through through horror comic. Um, now, try to picture this. There's a building, uh, an apartment building, and inside of the apartment building, it's kind of a like a nexus, if you will, that the converging point for this nexus is like all of these kind of terrible, reclusive people that live in this building and kind of live inside of themselves, and they're all harboring some kind of resentment towards another person or they're super depressed and suicidal or one of them has more than meets the eye going on with one of their neighbors it's really one of the more terrible aspects of the book as far as the characters i won't spoil that um and it seems that evil itself has kind of found this building and at the base of its foundation Has decided to plant its evil, has decided to plant its roots at the bottom. And over the years, this kind of like vine like black substance has been growing out of the ground around the building and creeping up along the sides, in through the windows, down the pipes, and just getting into the building and kind of making the people that live there retreat even more into themselves. And it kind of introduces this like pulsating, creeping madness into everyone that, that lives there. And you have all these different weird people. There's like an old man who's trying to keep it at bay by practicing voodoo. There's some other guy that's like waiting for a call from God so that he can dispel the evil that's growing along the building. It's some really, really weird, scary shit. Um, but to make a long story short, The book is relatively short. I read it in about 15, 20 minutes, Um, but it's all about what happens when evil is just evil for the sake of being just that and decides to come after people that are already weak and just some absolutely terrible, grisly stuff happens by the end of the book. And it's kind of just like a bird's eye view of, of watching several floors of a building unravel and, and and the, when, just when you think things can't get any worse, they do. Mm. And uh, it was, it was an exercise in kind of holding, holding your stomach down and in just how terrible and disgusting some people can be. So every now and again, I like to kind of, Dabble in like strange uh, scenarios for comics and not everything will be happy. And this is a a pretty disgusting look at uh, what people can be and what they can do to each other when giving the the proper evil motivation, if you will. All right. That was a mouth – yeah, any questions, comments?
2: Standalone, part of a series. Who put it out? Where are we at?
0: Uh, It's Dark Horse Comics. It's a standalone book. Um, I mentioned the creative team. It's called Pizu. That's P-I-X-U. And um, the subtitle for it is The Mark of Evil. And um, right in the beginning of the book, it says uh, the mark of evil that forecasts imminent death. Uh, Spleen deficient is what Pizu is term being used in traditional Chinese medicine the word spleen does not necessarily refer to the organ uh, it is a term describing a group of psychological functions
1: oh, so right.
0: yeah it's it's one it's of an those... anthology
1: right it's like it's like they're like is it different stories
0: no 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 it's one thing
1: huh interesting no I know it's one thing. It says here, originally self-published as a two-volume book, this groundbreaking work receives a deluxe presentation and hardcore edition with a sketchbook section. The 2008 Eisner Award-winning team for best anthology: Gabriel Bá, Becky hmm. Cloonan, Vasilis Lolos, and Fabio Moon, returned with their latest collaboration, P- *Pizu: The Mark of Evil*.
2: Oh no! I mean, they, they like, won I, for an I, anthology in 2008,
1: maybe. No, no. Uh, re- uh, maybe you're right. Okay, yeah, that's a. That's I confusing. mean, I, I, yeah. I
0: guess I didn't really, I didn't read it as that. Yeah because i mean there is there is a through line it, it's it's a continuous thing i mean it is broken up into chapters and i mean sometimes the chapters are one page gotcha. you're you're bouncing from tenant to tenant um every couple of pages and eventually they all you know they're all involved in this thing and they're all going insane in their own way and kind of committing their own crimes and doing their own terrible things and it, it just all amounts it's, so to it's all-out chaos. Um, I don't see where – I mean if, if what you read, I'm sure that that's the case. But if reading the deluxe version that I have, it doesn't come off as an anthology. Okay. It just comes off as one short little screwed-up
1: Gotcha. Book. Okay.
0: It's really disturbing. <laughs> like, I I've found a couple of things this year that are creepy, but I mean if you're still in the Halloween spirit – and uh, you want to find Pizu, it is definitely worth your time. And it's a quick read. If you don't like it at first, t- walk away from it for a little bit. It'll stick in your mind. That's what happened with me. And then I read it again, wow. and I had to switch out my books. So I was like, yeah. I'm like, this thing, this is this is different. This is cool. And um, it grossed me out, which doesn't happen often.
1: <laughs> wow. All yeah. right. Cool. Cool. So, P's are the mark, mark of Evil. So it's it's actually the acquisition's only seventeen ninety nine from Dark Horse. So if you want to pick it up, that's what it They're is. You're amazing little company. Yes.
2: All right, Bob. Speaking of the Strange. Yes, I was gonna say that. I like that. I said nice it first. Yes, it's Doctor Strange number two. And speaking of Strange, I'm gonna foul up the pronunciation. Jason Aaron and Chris Bachalo, or Bachalo. Bachalo. I think it's Bachalo. Okay. Yes. We we'll go with that. Though no, we could be wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, inks by Tim Townsend, Alvey, Mark Irwin, and letters by Corey Pettit. And quite simply, this was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, as with Steve's book, this really takes you on a tour of Stephen's Sanctum Sanctorum. Mm-hmm. And he and librarian Zelma Stanton of the Bronx are running around trying to recapture the monsters that came pouring out of her head at the end of the last issue, which is weirder than it sounds mm-hmm. when you saw it. And, and by taking this tour, by exploring all the odd nooks and crannies and little dark spaces in this house, which is apparently like the TARDIS, it's much bigger inside than mm-hmm. what you get from outside on Bleecker Street, you really get a feeling for how odd and peculiar this little corner of the Marvel Universe is that Steven resides in. It is clever, inventive, weird, funny. Uh, frankly, it's just amazing. It, I know you read and enjoyed the Matt Fraction Defenders. Yes. And it's got some of that mm-hmm. oddness to it. It's it's the whistling past the graveyard kind of humor. Mm-hmm. Stephen's seen everything you could possibly see in this universe and others and takes everything with kind of a grain of salt. And when you have a regular character, this woman who's just showed up because she had something weird growing out of her head, she's just a librarian. <laughs> and that split focus unites into something really special and and almost the dawn greenwood surfer sort of Mm -hmm. thing where there's there's a nice balance there story and art are just perfect complements to each other it is just absolutely gorgeous there's a page where the little creatures are all over the place they're spilling out of the page borders they're Mm -hmm. sort of hanging over the edge and looking around doctor strange has been around for 50 odd years now and hasn't had any solo solo success in probably two decades Maybe even longer if you want to go back to uh, Steve Englehart's run in the late seventies. I hope this book takes off. I haven't seen what the sales figures are yet; Mm. they seem to be mysteriously missing this (laughs) month. And it's off to just such a great start. I hope people pick this up. If if you've never felt the urge to try some Doctor Strange, it's been a very important supporting character, but never had a book you could go out there and buy a mini series here or there or a trade. So if you want to try some. Doctor Strange, this is the place to start. All you need is a basic grasp of the character, and you can jump right in. Yeah. So, Doctor Strange number two. Yeah, it's an excellent book. Um,
1: what I love about this, and they did in the first issue as well, but by taking us on this tour of his of of his house, and it's a way to. Get familiar with the character and his history and what he can do, but also propel a story forward at the same time. So you're 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 welcoming in new people who don't know the character, but you're also but you're not spending time sitting there just sort of talking about who he is and what his house is like for people who do know the character. You don't you know they're not getting like bored with what's going on. You're getting pushed on through, and I, I really like that about it. And of course, the art is. St- stunning i mean it's it's gorgeous and, it, and you, like you said it was perfect for 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 the story um and i you it's funny that you mentioned the doctor who thing because it there is a very strong sort of tardis element
2: i have one page open it's a it's a two-page spread sort of split two-thirds top and bottom and there's i don't know if you remember there was a twilight zone episode called the howling man mm-hmm uh, there's a guy held prisoner by some monks or whatever up in the mountains. A guy shows up in a storm and he's deathly ill and they they, they tend him back to health. And well, who's the guy over there? Don't, don't let him out. Mm-hmm. Don't let him out. And the guy lets him out. And it's, I think it was Charles Beaumont wrote that one. It's the devil, really. Mm. And as he's walking through this castle, he walks behind pillars. And each time he comes out from behind it, he's now more and more the devil. Mm. And this it's it's... This whole page here of as we move through Doctor Strange's room, there's more and more weird stuff to look at as the as the scene changes behind him. Just you can see the in motion. Yeah, it's a motion comic, and it's just a regular book. <laughs> Steve, we lost you for a second there.
0: That polar bear internet man. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, I
1: I, I the last thing I heard you say was yeah about Doctor Strange, so I'm guessing yeah. that you enjoyed it.
0: Oh, I have a little bit of an echo in my ear. This is uh. going to be rather annoying. <laughs> it's
1: that polar bear internet, Steve.
0: Oh, it's terrible, dude. I totally have an echo. All right. I'm gonna say what I have to say and then maybe uh I'm gonna hang up and you call me back again because okay. this is gonna get really annoying really soon. Uh so you wanna know what I thought of Doctor Strange? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh I'm totally loving it. I'm absolutely. Oh, I don't have an echo anymore. There you go. Hey. Uh for all the reasons that both you and Bob had said, um, i have I've always been a fan, like kind of since we started this thing when I first came across uh, Chris Bochelo's art. I just fell in love with it. I love the stuff that he did uh, on Uncanny X-Men and the various other things that i've I've read with him being the artist. And I just find him such a perfect fit for Dr. Strange. There's this one page where he's going up kind of like an Escher like labyrinthine staircase as he's, you know, giving exposition about the house and how it works and warnings to the girl that's walking with him and everything. And there's just this incredible sense of depth in that page. And I I loved seeing all the different parts of the house. I mean, not even all of them, just little tiny parts of the house. Uh, I love kind of planting the seeds of what's to come and characters that there's, there's more to them that meets the eye. And I just, I'm finding that uh, Jason Aaron coming off of his work on Thor and still doing Thor, but just adding that same level, but a different tone, like different to different tonally. But having that gravitas that he brought to Thor, bringing it to Doctor Strange. And I just think that Marvel made a really solid choice in assigning him that character in that book. That if the movie's coming out and they're going to start to be hyping the character, that there's a there's a book now that like oh where should I start reading? You could just say you know go to your comic book store and ask them to give you one and two, and then and then throw it on your pull list. I, th- I think it's yeah. awesome.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And um, uh, yeah. It's it's one of it's probably if not my favorite, one of my top two favorite of the new Marvel books that are it's out. It's one right of now. those mm-hmm. like
0: you know like full pack full fully loaded fully packaged comics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the the creative team they're 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 talking to each other in a way that I mean they must have had some ridiculous brainstorming uh, sessions for for that character in that book and how they want that to look and how to present it to their readers and I just think there's a lot of great communication uh, going around and they're building a really really cool world for that character.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm gonna say okay, yeah. So the sales numbers are out Bob ah. and we'll go over them after I do my book of the week cool uh, so you know along the same lines with with Bob I'm mean, be talking about a, an all new all different Marvel book uh, which is probably my favorite of the all new all different Marvel books and that is invincible Iron Man uh invincible Iron Man number three came out this week uh, again, it's by Michael Bendis and David Marquez and we've talked about it before we talked about each of the first the first two issues um and I've loved both of them but this one kind of sealed for me how much I'm enjoying the series and, and kind of outlines all the things that I really, really love a- about it, which is a, it's incredibly fun. It's an incredibly fun series. Um, really the, the, the story itself seems to capture the spirit of, of, of to- the Tony character, which, which I absolutely love. Um, but it also deals with some more sort of, um you know, character in depth character stuff about Tony kind of, still battling you know who he is compared to what who people think he is and you know what, you know the fact that he knows that sometimes he doesn't have the best instincts in the world and he not only has done bad things in his past but he continues to do bad things even when he wants to do the right thing and i love that the academy of, of the character and i've i also love the way that the story is kind of this issue especially is sort of framed by uh you know in the in the first issue of the book he's on a date and he says he has to leave on some iron man business but he thinks that she thinks he left because she wouldn't kiss him and he goes back to see that girl in this after he battles madame mask and it gives you sort of a mirroring of of both things and one of the one of the biggest things about him is that and the biggest thesis of this issue is that he hates not knowing like that's the thing he hates the most is like he can't figure it out he can't figure out where Madame Mass is getting her powers from, why she's acting the way she's acting, because it's not the way that she's acted in the past, uh, in, even in her villainy, and it he really hates it that he can't figure it out. The Doctor Doom stuff he can't figure out, you know, it, it's, it's all really about that. Um, all around, and he goes to see Doctor Strange in it, because there's some mystical stuff going on. Ah. So, uh, all of this is framed by just gorgeous, unbelievably gorgeous art, perfect superhero art for, for the character, and... There is a sort of one and a half page set of panels that I laughed I think l- louder than I've laughed at a comic book all year I think pretty much um especially it's definitely a superhero comic um where Tony is asking for a high five and from Doctor Strange <laughs> Uh, and the resolution to it is really just pretty hilarious uh because doctor strange hates hates it and tony just loves it so much and he has this like just absolutely like joyous look on his face i'm going to show it to bob <laughs> uh really great really fun and i don't have a ton to say about it other than the fact that if you're not reading invincible iron man i really think you should be uh it's high action uh good character moments a lot of fun and it's the first Iron Man book that I've read since I started reading comics again and you know kind of my gateway into the universe from the movie that has really made me excited about the character and wanting to continue to read a monthly book wow. um, or more than monthly right now I don't know what it's going to end up yeah. being it actually comes out but this is usually the way of things with with the Bendis stuff it usually comes out in mass at first and then sort of tails off but Uh, really really loved it and I love the armor the new armor like the combination of all the armors being in one where it can go stealth it can go kind of into big Hulkbuster it can go back into like regular mode all it it just uh, allows for a lot of really really bombastic and fun visual looks to it and Marquez really takes advantage of all of that stuff so I'm really really loving the book a ton um, and I can't wait to keep reading it um, Sweet. Yeah, Uh Justin Ponzer is the colorist on it too. I want. I don't want. I don't want to forget to give credit where credit is due.
0: There was uh, there was a moment when I was talking about uh, Amazing Spider-Man last week where the villains, uh, the Zodiac, like the the leader of the Zodiac, is giving his, you know, his big villainy speech or whatever, mm-hmm. and
2: gotta have one of those. Uh,
0: Peter Parker and Prowler are are breaking into their base and they're using this like holographic uh, chameleon tech that Peter uh, d- uh, developed and he's like, there's still a few bugs to work out with it, but we should be fine. And the villain finishes his speech and he goes to do his evil laugh. And so he arches back to do the laugh and opens his eyes. And when he opens his eyes, he sees them mm-hmm. and he looks at his henchmen and he's like, you guys see the two Spider-Men that are crawling on the ceiling, <laughs> right? And all hell breaks loose after that. I was dying with mm. laughter. It was hysterical.
1: Did you read Invincible Iron Man, Steve?
0: I have not. But honestly, after you hyping it up for three issues, uh, when I go into the shop, they sell back issues for half price. Oh, cool. Wow. So, um, And they're all there. They were all there the other day. I'm going to go and pick them up. Awesome.
1: Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's really, really great. A ton of fun. Um, nice. I, I highly recommend it. All right. So, let's talk about these sales numbers.
2: Yeah, the the site we use was down during the week oh, a couple okay. of times tried to look at nothing. So, here we go. So, um the top 10 is all Marvel. What? Uh, in fact,
1: the in the top 20 there are only two DC books. Um the card, this is all the new stuff. So number 1 is Invincible Iron Man number 1 279,000 uh copies wow. sold. Yeah. Number 2 Amazing Spider-Man number 1. Uh so Iron Man's outsold Spider-Man. That's 245,000 copies. Spider-Gwen number 1 was number 3 at 197,000 copies. Um, Secret Wars, number six, 192,000 copies. Doctor Strange, number one, 145,000 copies at number five. Star Wars, number 10, at 134,000 copies. Chewbacca, number one, at 122,000 copies. Mara's
2: smiling somewhere.
1: Uh, Star Wars, Shattered Empire, uh, number two, at 119,000 copies. Guardians of the Galaxy, number one, at 118,000 copies. Um, and Amazing Spider-Man, number two, at 111,000 copies. Uh, number 11 is Batman, Uh number 45 which didn't fall off at all 109,000 yeah. copies just everything else sold so much more uh the shattered empires three and four were uh were 12 and number 13 at 105,000 um, uncanny avengers number one at 105,000 uh darth vader's 10 and 11 both at one at 94,000 ninety two thousand. uncanny Humans, number one at 90,000 uh, avengers zero sold 80,000 uh, contest of champions number one with 79,000 and Justice League, number 45, only the second DC book in the top 20, uh, at 77,000. That's still a solid number, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Batman and Robin Eternal, number one, at 76,000. Astonishing Ant-Man, number one, 75,000. Uh, Paper Girls, number one, at 75,000 copies sold. Ooh, nice. This is really impressive. That's very, very impressive. Uh, Chewbacca, number two, 74,000. New Avengers, number one, 71,000. Walking Dead, number 147, at 67,000. Um Back to the Future uh, number one was at sixty seven thousand, but though it has to start next week because I believe it was in one of the, the crates. It wasn't in loot crate, uh, but it was in something. Um, uh, yeah. So that's that's the that's the kind of like the top twenty seven, I guess. Invincible Iron Man number two sixty six thousand, uh, Car- and Karnak number one sixty three thousand. Old Man Logan number five sixty
2: two thousand. Um, do we have the split company to company?
1: Uh, yes. I have to go to the. Oh, I have to.
2: It's at the bottom here, right? Um, hold on a second. I wonder with all those Marvel books in the top 20.
1: I will say, trade wise, Star Wars Volume 1, 21,000. Star Wars Darth Vader Volume 1, 10,000. Bitch Planet Volume 1, 9,000 uh deathstroke book and mask set seven seven five hundred <laughs> uh marvel superhero condos of champions volume one seventy five hundred walking dead compendium volume three uh six thousand uh saga volume five outcast <laughs> lumberjanes and injection close out the top 10 in trade paperback sales um here we go to the side here and look up our, our splits here so um oh here we go i got it so market share Uh, Share of overall units, Marvel at 48.26% of the market, DC 22.92% of the market, Image 9.27% of the market.
2: Okay. So Image is still just about where they were. Yeah.
1: Closing in on the 10%. uh, IDW almost 5%, uh, Dark Horse 3%, uh, Boom 1.93%, Dynamite 1.5%, Titan 1.16%. With Valiant at almost a percent... uh, Really, Valiant Archie and Oni almost all at 1% of the market. Um, Sharon overall dollars is relatively similar. Marvel, 43%. DC, 21%. Uh, Image, 9.17%. Um, it's interesting. because items in the top 300. DC actually has more, 75 Marvel has 68 right. Um Image has 45 That's uh, impressive. Now, yeah.
2: Here's the thing. We, we said this to DC, in, in essence, to, to knock DC when it was, okay, they took over first place a couple of times because of cover events where you had to buy Mm. two books Mm -hmm. to get the two covers and it skews the sale numbers same idea here tons of number ones well yeah of course huge numbers that yeah come January February that's when you'll get to see where the numbers are when both new universes are completely launched and Star Secret Wars is over and yes
1: a share of units in the top 300 Marvel had 52.67% of all units in the top 300 Um, DC had 24% yeah. Uh, and dollars, uh, Marvel is fifty-five to twenty-one. To yeah, but the books are more expensive, which yes. helps too.
2: And so if they sold that many more more yes. expensive books, it starts to yes, absolutely multiply geometrically. Absolutely. Um,
1: average cost of comics in the top three hundred three dollars and eighty-eight cents. <laughs> that hurts. Um, average cost of comics in the top three hundred weighted by orders four dollars and three cents. Average cost of comics in the top twenty-five four dollars and 27 cents medium cost of comics in the top 300 $399. most common cost of comics in the top 300 $399. E-
0: uh, times they are a changing
1: um the, the, the sales for everything combined was 40.57 million dollars which is actually unchanged versus the same month last year but up from all the previous years We're up eight percent over the previous year as far as money over the whole year, three hundred sixty-one point three seven million. But uh, we're actually all comics trades, paperbacks, and graphic novels sold by Diamond Comics down nine point five five percent from a year ago versus the same month previous year. Um, But up five point eight percent year to date. So (laughs) okay, it's you know it's it's a down month, but overall an up year. Um, was last
2: October a big event? I don't remember. Yeah. P- probably. Me, me neither. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only thing that could make a month with that many 200,000 or near selling books. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Under last year. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Forever Evil or something? Or... Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't yeah, know exactly crazy. what it was. Um, but yeah, so that's uh that those are the numbers for, for, for this month. A lot of trick stuff. But interesting, you know, one things- we always talk about about the size of the comic book industry, and people, you know, to give you an example, you know, um, comics have made what is a three hundred and something $361 million for the year. You know, that's as much as a very successful single movie makes. You know, so it's it's interesting to think about that and talk about how comparatively small mm-hmm. the comic book industry is compared to some of the other very big mediums. I mean, I don't I don't know how it compares to let's say books. I don't know how that compares one-to-one so
2: i think a huge bestseller still can sell seven figures yeah but you've got to be stephen king or yeah tom clancy or definitely. one of those kind of yeah.
1: folks uh, probably not tom clancy since he passed away
2: that's true <laughs> um, john grisham john grisham there you is go is he alive yes definitely alive okay. <laughs> good thing i didn't say steinbeck or hemingway or something yeah
1: that would have been a very weird thing to say <laughs> uh you know something we don't bob
2: yes they're back
1: all right So uh, let's move on to our our shared Mm -hmm. Book of the Week. Um, 007, James Bond, uh, Varger, uh, (laughs) Warren Ellis, and Jason Masters are our team here, and we are telling a James Bond story that, by looking at it, by reading it, it's separate from any James Bond story, where you can't really nail it down to any James Bond era. I think that's obviously intentional. Um but it's a story it begins with a, a coda, just like most James Bond stories do, uh where we have James hunting somebody down or you know, on on a mission, and then we go to basically what would be the meat of, of the story, which is this mission that he has to go on, um where there's a kind of a drug a a drug a drug importer that James has to dissuade from importing drugs anymore. And you know, there there is all of the elements of James Bond story you would you would come to expect in a James Bond story, um, some political intrigue, some actions and violence. And the story kind of goes f- from there. I mean, it's a first issue, so we're, it's really a lot of setup. Um, but Bob, what did you think of, of
2: this issue of, of James Bob, Bond? All you're saying in, in that it is to the formula mm-hmm. and perhaps a little bit too by the numbers, considering mm-hmm. it's Warren Ellis. I've, I've expected more, but maybe that's what he's trying for, to mm-hmm. not be that Warren Ellis. It's the first part of the first act, and I think it shows the strain. Mm. Again, almost as so many of these things are chapters artificially, in that it's part of a larger book, and we're cutting it into pieces randomly, because that's we got to the page count. Though there were a ton of ads at the end of this. I think they mm-hmm. could have moved this forward. Again, to that formula, we get a pre-credit sequence. We get you know, the customary buy play with Money Penny and mm. M and so on and so forth. And it's all well done. But I wanted it to be great. And it's not bad, but it's not great either, at least to me. I'm a pretty big Bond fan. We'll discuss we'll this as get we, into. we we'll move forward. <laughs> um, for me, I think I would only buy this as a trade. I don't think I would come back for next single issue. Steve, what did you think of it?
0: Um, I was actually kind of let down by it a little bit um being warren ellis i kind of expected it to be a little more outrageous and and like bob had said that it it kind of comes off as being by the numbers uh i liked the way that it started i was really i i get kind of engaged in uh ellis's silent panel uh like just the stuff that he did with moon knight so to speak um was really gripping and like you almost had whole issues that were silent with that series. And here he is doing it again. But overall the book felt really kind of empty to me. And in, in terms of intrigue and I just, I just don't think the mission that they're putting him on was very interesting. Um And I, the book felt really short. Mm. Like it felt super short with the, the all, I mean, I understand that, Layout-wise, they pushed all of the stuff to the back, which doesn't interrupt the story when you're reading it, but for me, it just – half the book was this this silent action sequence, and as soon as that was over and we got to kind of standard Bond setup stuff, I, I tuned out a little bit, and I uh, have no idea what the hell is going on uh, on the last page. It seemed to have just cut to this other scenario and possibly our villain, and um, it just didn't do anything to really set him up or make him seem menacing in any way. And um, I don't know. I just – taking – there were like whole conversations about taking things away from Bond and maybe trying to to make the mission seem – more interesting because it's putting restraints on its hero that's usually you know gunning balls to the wall type adventures if he's only going to to get his effects once he gets to where he needs to be i just don't see why we spent time a whole page and a half even discussing it
1: well because steve i would imagine that he's not going to get to the place where he needs to get his gun that's what i would assume that they're no, setting all up right. that they're setting up um I agree with what both of you are saying in, in many ways. I think that the issue feels thin to me. I think that because because of the fact that it obviously feels like it's part of a, a bigger whole also the our your familiarity with 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 Bond I think works against it in some ways only because you know you know the classics up you know that you're going to get a stinger at the beginning and then you're going to move into the story and blah, blah, blah whatever and here you don't you get that stinger and that's really kind of for me, that was the meat of the, the book to me. That was the highlight of the book to me as well. I loved the opening sequence. I thought, like you were saying, Steve, the silent panels, The, the it's wonderful visual storytelling. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's a, a sort of theme throughout the book. Masters does a great job of telling you a story visually and giving you connective tissue and, and giving you personality. And that first sequence is, is the pinnacle of that, I think, of the book, which is you get this great... Um, scene where bond is almost painted as the you know the the, the slasher almost and you know, he's the he's the unstoppable you know unseen force you know he does all the things to our 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 hero before our, our this villain before we ever see his face and I, I i enjoy that aspect of it you know um it was actually very similar to sort of that opening in casino royale where bond is at the you know at at that sort of he kills that that sort of mm-hmm. bureaucrat you know who set him up or or whatever and you feel like Bond is sort of like that's that scene usually flipped the other way where the guy who's under the gunfire you know under the Paul the, the gun is the one who you're rooting for and it's the other way around and it's the same thing here uh, and I like that a lot I think that it's it shows how sort of fierce and good at his job he is um, but then after that I think that the story sort of meanders and I think that meanders but it, it it goes in places that are just not that interesting right the, the idea of taking away bond's gun and the idea of like oh the kind of bureaucrats are stopping us from doing our job it's a very well-worn trope mm-hmm. in, in in any kind of spy story and uh, i just feel like it was it was weird to go right to that right away it, it didn't it didn't play well for me um I, you know they lean he leans very into the sort of classic Bond sort of stereotypes and I think in a lot of ways uses them as a way to show how ridiculous the character can be you know because some of the interactions some of the things he's saying are they're they're downright sexist in a lot -hmm. of ways and I think I think that he's trying to show that the character has these anachronisms about him and you know there there are ways of looking at him where he because in this book to me he doesn't come off as like super suave cool spy he comes off as kind of a dope in 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 Mm -hmm. in some of it you know he that kind of scene in like the lunchroom which is this is one things i like about the book which is like you you never see that scene in in a movie like he's hanging out with in like in a on a folding chair like eating like cafeteria food (laughs) talking to his handler or whatever about getting his mission and the way they're talking is very sort of behind the scenes. It's like, you know, in between the lines of a script. And I I liked that aspect about it. And I, and it's because of those scenes that I think Ellis is trying to show somewhat a lot of what, I guess, Daniel Craig has been saying about the character in the press over the last couple of months, which she's like, he's kind of an ass. Like he doesn't, you know, he I I wouldn't like to hang out with him, like th- that kind of thing. And you get that here. But I do think that it, it does sort of, especially because of the look of the character, I get a little Archer feeling out of the character, you know, which is that sort of <laughs> James Bond send up. Like some of his facial expressions are very over the top and stuff like that. And I don't know if that's what he's going for on purpose, and maybe it is because it's Warren Ellis. He's a very subversive writer, but I-, I felt like that stuff sort of was good, but also didn't really fit with the pieces of the of the opening scene. And I agree with you. See, by the end, when we get sort of this reveal of who will be, I guess, our. Um, You know, I don't think he's – obviously he's not the mastermind behind whatever's going on, but he's the sort of physical equal to Bond that we're going to have. Yeah. It it didn't – I understand what they're trying to do. He has, has like – he doesn't feel pleasure. He has no emotions. So he's probably, like, a sociopath, and, you know, he's some, like, amazing killer or something like that. GoldenEye. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the book –
0: for me the the book definitely it has potential like bob was saying perhaps if it had already been collected and you could just move on mm-hmm. and see more of a, the scope of the mission and and stuff like that i think it would be it would play out better just as a first issue it it doesn't have like a whole lot of like the fireworks don't go up mm-hmm. you know what i mean but yeah. like you were saying about the the start of the book like these some some people don't like this the silent panel stuff I really enjoy it because when I have no words to uh, to read, it really forces my brain to kind of immerse myself in the art and make my own soundtrack. So when I'm looking through this thing, like I can hear the guy running through the streets. There's this panel at the bottom of the first page where he steps into a pile of snow. Like I could hear the, like the, the, the sloshing mm-hmm. of the snow when he steps in it and the bullets going off and just – the, the clanging of the the shovel and the cinder block dropping and all of that stuff I think is is super solid as far as storytelling goes. I just I had this, you know, bombastic chase opening and then this bizarre aside of of, of possibly the area where things are really bad with the drug problem. And then it switches over into the Bond stuff and it just I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I need more. Mm-hmm. I need. I need more. And I really would have loved. I have no idea who this guy is. At the end. I. I almost would have just let, enjoyed something just maybe a little bit more menacing, or maybe the dialogue to be a little bit more shrouded in in, in mystery, or or mm-hmm. to something that something to say like you should come back and and find out what's going on with this guy. Yeah, and it, it just for all the yeah. the new stuff that's coming out. It just doesn't make that cut. Mm-hmm. Excuse me.
1: So they, you know, they said the thing where he needs—you know—he's going to kill Bond, and you see, like, yeah, you know, he obviously is a very in shape person who doesn't have any like morals or whatever. But you get—you have no evidence that he is any sort of match for him. You know, you don't see him do anything. They're like, oh, I don't want this guy going after Bond. You know, uh, I don't even know what he's doing he's like getting some sort of therapy. He's getting sort of, he has some sort of um, like brain chemistry problem or something. He can't feel pleasure. So they're trying to do some sort of work on him to make him feel that way. Um, Uh, uh, But that doesn't tell me he's good at
2: killing or anything else for that. Or anything else for that matter. So
0: I might not have read it carefully enough because I was, Under the assumption of that maybe he was using some kind of a device to tap into one of the people that was inside the MI six. No, he's they're giving
1: him sort of gene therapy or something. Okay, all right,
0: well, okay, that that makes him slightly more interesting. Yeah,
2: Uh, not quite much. Here's the thing: Dynamite this year did a mini series about Shaft. mm -hmm. David F. Walker did. There'll be another one coming. Again, maybe not at this level, but an iconic character Mm -hmm. with everyone having an idea of who John Shaft was, what that character was, what he stood for, what the movies were about. And David F. Walker gave us something that was the novels, the movies, the television show, our perceptions tilted slightly, an origin story deepened the character. This is James Bond. We all know Mm -hmm. a lot about James Bond and all we got shown was what we already know.
1: Yeah. And absolutely, that's,
2: that's a little sad.
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I will say some of the, the... To the Jason Masters art, I think, is, is great. And especially that opening scene, like I said, I th- I think it's wonderful. And when you go into this drug scene, one of the things I really like about it is... I, I like the panel layout. Um, but I love the way that we see this first time we see them. And we see this sort of you know barred up window with this graffiti on it that says Old England. And then when we go to the next page and we go inside, you you don't see that again, but you see a door with similarly styled graffiti on it. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is it gives you a sense of, a, a flow from one place to another. you know it's the same place there's you have no confusion that when we go inside and see this guy sitting on his, his bed that we are in the same place that we were in the page previous because it's a different looking a little bit of a different looking you know scene when we when we switch over um and i really like that about that's simple but it's 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 a little detail but i think it helps with the visual storytelling that's going on there um and also do the, the drug thread is it's He's looking at his hand, and I can't tell if his hand has scabs on it or it has like some sort of creepy crawly things on it. That was part of the problem for me too. Uh, do you remember the
2: Avengers Assemble story? That's we what the supposed croc- to, we, Yeah, we weren't supposed to Google, and yeah. we all did. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I yeah. think that's where. That's
1: yeah. what I thought too. Possibly was like that crocodile yeah. thing or whatever, but I wasn't sure that, and so I didn't know what it was because I couldn't tell what he was looking at on his hand. I think he's in trouble, at kid. It's weird. It looks yes. like both. Yeah, it does. It, right.
0: It, it does. It looks like gashes, but the. The one in like the bottom right corner almost looks like it's got a leech on it.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. why. That's what it was. And he says, "Like I can't tell if you're real or not looking at them. So it, it seems like he's talking about something that's alive, but Ooh. I
2: don't. That's even creepier than I thought. They're helping me jam, man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we had a few listeners chime in about, ah. about James Bond. Uh, number one, using hashtag TCBOTW. Bond one, this is from back. Uh, let's see back issue blog says um, bond one was everything you want in bond great art great writing but left me feeling do I really want a bond comic don't get me wrong I felt I really felt all the pieces were there it just wasn't for me didn't hook me for a monthly read uh, Jack Assassin who's at the Brad Pinder, says James Bond one was all right simple start with no real catch for me I'd borrow the next issue if I were to find its way to me but I wouldn't seek it out as I have a pretty hefty reading list I currently enjoy shame too because I really wanted to like this book more Jesse Bowden says bond was solid i love the wordless panels but it didn't give me anything i'm not already getting from grayson or velvet um and carol cross says james bond was all right but fall short of me spending money on another issue mm. so thank you everybody who, who, who chimed in
2: sort of a consensus from all of us yes absolutely I wonder what matt had to say in his review we'll have to all go read that
1: yes I'll, oh i can i can look it up right now and give us give us a pull quote uh-huh. from it so, Matt's review
0: was very good
1: um steve you are picking this week I am. You are.
0: And you know, we have, we have choices.
1: There's a lot of books.
0: And mm-hmm. since since we're we're absent, one of our people, we could actually talk about this for a moment. Yes. I'm gonna hijack the podcast oh, for a okay. moment because right. I have an idea. Okay, with the shared book of the week, where we try to focus on you know number one issues or one shots or just things that people can jump onto without having a whole lot of Background, maybe, or just jumping on points and stuff. And it's awesome. But one of the things that we keep running into, in my experience, is saying, well, if I were to know what the next issue brings, what the next issue brings, it might prove out to be a different book. So with that in mind, how would you feel about introducing another modestly-priced trade into the mix like we did with The Empty?
1: That's, uh, which which one, Steve?
0: Uh, I would like to choose The Wolf from Image Comics. It is $7.99 digital and $9.99 physical. Uh, it's written by Alesh Kot, with art by Matt Taylor and Lee Lowridge and covered by tom muller i can give you the synopsis if you'd like go ahead
1: yes give it especially for our listeners
0: all right Ahem. <laughs> los angeles california antoine Wolfe, a hard-boiled paranormal detective with a death wish has come up has come with the sudden responsibility for an orphaned teenage girl who might be the key to the impending apocalypse the road to hell and back begins special low price introductory 9.99 <laughs> enter the world where myths and uh meet reality and bleed um that sounded a lot better in my head that sounded great <laughs> uh it's it's four issues and it, um i actually read the first issue of this and it was pretty damn cool um the first volume is called blood and magic and uh yeah it's uh it's it, it's it's calling to me. The other op- you want me to give you some other options and so we can vote?
1: We don't have to vote, but let let, let me know what yeah. else you were thinking.
0: Um I'm super excited for uh Ultimates number mm-hmm. one from Marvel yes. to come out. When when we were reading the uh the solicitations for all the new stuff, that was the one that we collectively were like freaking out about. Mm-hmm. Um so that's my other top choice. And uh... The other one was all new, all different Avengers. Right, of Mark course. Wade.
1: Of course. Yeah, those are two of the biggest books, I think, coming out. It's interesting to me that Bendis has written on his blog that Spider-Man number one, the Miles Morales one, can't come out until after Secret Wars is over because there's, they're holding it back because something in the book is, I think, going to completely give away what happens at the oh. end of that book. It's interesting to me, though, that... All new, all different can come out since Miles is part of that. I guess that maybe they won't because oh, it's, it's not his solo book. They're not going to address how he's in the universe or, or what have you. I mean, I'm assuming that's why he can't be in. They can't release a new book because it's going to go into his reasoning for why he's in the world in the first place. Right. Yeah.
0: Um. There's also all new Wolverine.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which I was.
0: So yeah, I have a feeling we're going to end up talking about some of these anyway. Yes. Right. Definitely. Absolutely. And I just, you know, for the there's nothing wrong with doing number ones just for the sake of changing it up a little bit. It would be cool to talk about something collected and you know a volume of something i think makes the the empty conversation i thought was really good
1: yeah absolutely it's i mean it's easier to talk about something that has more to it because we can talk about it as a full thing we don't ha- we don't have right. to like you said we don't have to say like maybe in the next issue it will get better um, right and
0: especially with the prices of some of these ones that are coming out these marvels these are five dollars yeah <laughs> peace whereas the uh the wolf is only 9.99 for four issues and a bunch of extras as well
1: yeah absolutely no it makes total sense I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to to reading it uh something awesome. something to change stuff up i am very excited about the ultimates though um bob are you hopeful that, that will be Take your the al Ewing a
2: stick the stench out of new avengers yes yeah. absolutely yeah. Yes. great great cast of characters mm-hmm. a lot from mighty avengers which i love so much and you know, get to see the blue marvel again and monica rambo and Isn't, um carol
0: is part of the crew
2: no she's no. an all new all new all different carol is though carol, carol danvers is, is. yeah
0: Oh, what the hell am I thinking
2: You're of
1: thinking that? of all this new, all new. different, all new, all different Avengers, as you're thinking of. There's too many Avengers. It's Kamala Cheers. and and Miles. Oh, Volt, yeah. Nova. So, yeah. That's all new, all different Avengers. We're talking about the Ultimates.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Okay.
1: <laughs> uh, let me let me give you a little synopsis of Matt's review ah. um, as much as I'd love to cast off this comic I can't I read the first issue and there's still enough bond there to keep me reluctantly coming back for more just because I'm in too deep at this point doesn't mean I'll recommend it though <laughs> <laughs> okay it's, it's honest mm. yes very honest
2: so slightly on the other side of us
1: mm. but yeah not but begrudgingly in yes. not, not really fully in um, I do but before we came on the air I just tweeted a picture of it. Bob brought props with him because he loves bond so much um so i don't really have to start this conversation because it's kind of we were off on a whole tangent when we, when we were, we were yes. talking about this off the air but um you know you we read that we read the book obviously and it got you thinking about bond obviously specter came out um so we didn't really get to talk about it in sort of like in comparison to the bond stuff mm-hmm. so you're someone who's read the books you've obviously yeah, oh, yeah. seen all the movies. So.
2: Talk to me about why you love James Bond so much, Bob. Well, I, as most people in this country, even though it was the third movie to come out, the first movie to make a big splash here was Goldfinger. Mm. Uh, Dr. No was a big hit in England, as was from Russia with Love. They came out here as a double feature after Goldfinger came out, and I was eight. And already into comic books, certainly into reading, real books too, Bond was a superhero in his own way. The, the gadgets and the larger-than-life stuff. And the spy things were fun for an eight-year-old, but some of the involvement of it was over my head. And as the years go on, you, you get more understanding, and it's, it's all great, but it's—it's it's a, it's a brilliantly executed parallel universe where everyone is elegant and everything <laughs> is perfect and wonderful, and good guys win, but a good guy with an edge... Not, not the Roy Rogers cowboy who rides him, but it's, it's still the stranger, mm-hmm. you know, coming in to, to fix things. Brilliantly played by Sean Connery, who's my Bond growing up. Cleverly written. Great villains, as you are saying before. Mm-hmm. The villain has to match up. You can't fight out of your weight class. Mm-hmm. And that's happened here and there in the movies, too, and, and the novels as, as well. And so as a package... As an action film, there were policemen, there were spies, there were all these other kinds of characters before, and here was someone who was all those things and more in a, a wonderfully set up package. And the, the line that gets used a lot is, men wanted to be him and women wanted to be with him. There was something sort of for everyone. And yes, he's a, as uh, Judy Dench's M points out at a certain point, you're, you're a sexist, misogynist, dinosaur relic of the Cold War. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, but because everyone knew that ahead of time, it has not fallen under the same gaze as other things have since. That said, there are moments, particularly during the Roger Moore period, where the the jokes got to be a bit much, you know, though, you know, uh, Anna Blackman's character from Goldfinger had to be vetted through the royal family as to whether they wanted it in the movie. Her character's name was Pussy Galore. Right, yes. And they passed that through the Queen and the Prince <laughs> and do you think we can put this in a movie? And yes, it's it's funny to let it go. It's mm-hmm. just that no one cares. Just just <laughs> go for it. As the years went on, the the movies got too big and then tried to be what other action movies were, and then we saw that particularly had up during the later period Brosnan movies, mm-hmm. certainly when in, in the Moore thing. But even the Connery movies got out of hand. By the time you got to Thunderball is actually adjusted for inflation the biggest bond movie. It's it's worldwide gross adjusted at about seven hundred million dollars. <laughs> it It'd come out after Goldfinger, and it's just it's a little long and a little bloated. Uh, actually, Bobby is right now looking at my paperback copy. It's probably my third paperback copy of Casino Royale. It actually, it's from the eighties when I bought that that version. I had them in the sixties. Right. Um, that's the first novel yeah. written in nineteen fifty three. It's funny. It's the first novel, but it says bond is back
1: on the back of it yes yeah well the movie do you want to get into it? Look, east we'll go... and west meet at the baccarat tables and la Chiffre, pursuer purser also oh, purser of smirsch takes on 007 in a grim game of chance but lucky at cards unlucky at love bond draws a queen of hearts named vesper and
2: flirts with the kiss of death yes. casino royale yeah. uh Casino Royale was also the first filmed Bond. They did it for American television in 1954 mm. with Barry Nelson playing Jimmy Bond, CIA agent, <laughs> Peter Peter Lorre as Le Chiffre. Mm. And that that novel sets into play a whole bunch of weird stuff. So we're, we'll, I'll just go. <laughs> uh, Ian Fleming was contracted exactly but there was interest in a television series he was quickly running out of how do you do this and then the interest faded and in that period he hired an assistant a guy named kevin mcclory to help him come up with ideas to write tv shows there were no tv shows he started using the ideas to write his books mcclory sued over thunderbolt because that was his and that turned into, he, he he the rights to Thunderball, the book, and Ian Fleming didn't. As they got to Goldfinger, the next movie was supposed to be on Her Majesty's Secret Service. At the end of each movie, James Bond will return, so on and so forth. McClory was trying to make his own James Bond movie. And he had some financing, not enough, no star, no anything. He went to Cubby Broccoli and and... Harry Saltzman, and said, look, I've got half a movie ready to go. How about we combine and we'll do Thunderball? And they did that, but he also retained remake rights, which is why there's Never Say Never Again, which is a remake of Thunderball with James Bond separate from the regular ones. Mm -hmm. But they were going to make that in the 70s. McClory went to Connery, who had not been Bond for five years since quitting after Diamonds are Forever. What do you think? Let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. Connery helped write the script, and it's called Warhead. And it was uh, stealing cruise missiles, the whole idea again, and aiming them at New York. And the villain of the piece ended up with a whole bunch of sharks with laser beams on their heads.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Warhead. <laughs> um, I have seen every one of these movies in a theater, excepting the new one, and for your eyes only, because I thought Moonraker was so awful, I couldn't give him any more money. <laughs> So if, if you want to know what I think the worst James Bond movie is, it's Moonraker. <laughs> For those looking to start, I think the best movie of the bunch is Goldfinger. It's, it's where the formula gets set into place, but it's done perfectly there. Watching the first two, Dr. No, from from up, leading into it, it's great. It's not necessary. But what you do get in Dr. No is certainly that first Bond, James Bond moment, Mm -hmm. where it's the most famous introduction of a character in movie history, probably. Greatest opening line for a character, definitely. Terrence Young, who wrote sort of the series Bible in a way, he took Sean Connery, who was at that point, he was acting, but also driving a milk truck on the side. (laughs) He had been a Mr. Universe contestant. He was pretty built for the early '60s. You know, they didn't turn into Arnold Schwarzenegger quite mm-hmm. yet, and he made him into James Bond. He took him to a tailor, got him shirts made, got made sure that his jackets were cut slightly bigger so that the holster wouldn't spoil the line of the suit,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which is a line in, a line in, the, in yeah. this in this yeah. book, in Doctor No, the film. They take his gun away because he's using the wrong kind of gun. He's using a Beretta that won't stop anybody. They call mm-hmm. it a, a, a whore's gun. They call it in there as well. That's in there as well. Right. So those things are direct knocks from mm-hmm. there. Uh, those novels come a little later. There are 11 Ian Fleming novels and then two short story collections, and the books stop being the basis of the movies pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. They go all over the place. If you want a movie that's most like the books— you want to see on Her Majesty's Secret Service with a, an actor who only played James Bond once, George Lazenby, who took up from Connery who had quit, and it is a wonderful movie for those who love Inception. The whole attack on that snow fortress, wherever you want to call it, is directly from Majesty's, and Christopher Nolan said so, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's a loving tribute to it. Great stunt work. The movie's edited well by their uh, directed well by the original editor Peter Hunt. Uh, you get Telly Savalas. Uh, Diana Rigg as the Bond girl, and something different goes on in Our Majesty's Secret Service. James Bond actually falls in love. (laughs) Really, for goodness, falls in love. So you've got to go with that. Now, speaking of love, Spy Who Loved Me, which is second best more one in my weird ranking of things. (laughs) The novel is told in the first person. James Bond shows up in the last three chapters. It's written by the girl, and it's about the spy who loved me. Mm -hmm. Um, the novels fall into a pattern as series fiction tend, tends to do. There's a formula there too. Connery played Fleming's character perfectly. Dalton kind of is doing Connery. Craig is morphing into Connery mm. near the end of Skyfall. And I think where Bond is most successful as a franchise, whether it's a comic book or the movies or they did comic books. There was a doctor No comic book. There were comic strips in the 50s. It's when it's nearest to the roots of the thing. He's a caricature of an English gentleman, but he's he is written to be a thug. He's got a sense of danger about him. The fact that he's was kicked out of Eton, you know, he's a, he's an orphan and all that sort of stuff. He's he's a kid of the streets at a certain level, of, but very rich streets, right? <laughs> but he he's not the regular gentleman agent of so many other things. Not the Scarlet Pimpernel. He's mm. not you know Nick and Nora Charles. It's something dangerous about him and you've seen dr no at some point no, i've never seen dr no okay. there's a moment where there's a bad fella who tries to kill 007 who then bond ambushes and dispatches him twice in the back <laughs> while just sitting minding his own business and just plugs him one it's like mm. yeah you don't look so bad <laughs> shoots him some more that's the essence of the character when you sand off too many of the rough edge, he still needs to be in the talks, the whole Mm. thing, but it can't be completely devoid of that other element. And that's where so many, but when it gets too gimmicky and too gadgety, it falls apart.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
2: That's great. I, I, you know, I think that for me,
1: James James Bond has always been sort of a, I've seen more ones that I, not Roger Moore ones I've seen (laughs) more Bond movies that I didn't like than I did like Uh, the ones I have liked I've really really loved Mm -hmm. but the ones I haven't liked I've just found to be sort of the most sort of like basic kind of you you know uh, boring kind of action movies you know and and so it's interesting I have a very interesting relationship with the character because I still get I get very excited when when Casino Royale came out I had pretty much disliked every brazen movie except for Goldeneye. So, with good reason. Uh, yeah. So I was not excited. I was like, I don't care about James Bond. And I saw it and I loved it, right? Um, Quantum Solace, I didn't really care for. I loved Skyfall and who knows with Spectre, it's mm-hmm. getting a lot of back and forth mixed re- reviews um the older stuff I've watched I've liked I mean I've, I watched both Dalton's and they have flaws but I enjoyed both yeah. of them and license to kill is particularly effective yeah and I loved I mean I think the only country I've seen we're talking about worthy on the air but yeah. is from Russia with love and I loved that movie I yeah. I watched I, it last night it's yeah. such a great movie Robert Shaw is a great bad guy um, and it, it just has the reason I like that movie is because it has a very authentic spy feel to it it doesn't there's not really a lot of gadgets there's not a lot of winkiness to the character at any
2: point it's very it's played very straight and i, and mm-hmm. I like that a lot about it yeah Set so much in istanbul where yes. it's, it's, it's a city between worlds mm-hmm. and you get that with russians and british mm-hmm. agents all and then there's a throw in there's specter yeah which is which is fun we, we see that turn up and You you watch that movie and realize where the series would go. You look in retrospect and say, wow, we end up with jetpacks and all sorts of gizmos and gadgets. And there's this, what, he has a folding rifle. He has a knife in his suitcase. It's about as far afield as it gets.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, and it feels very... Brutal at times, and I, and I like that about it a lot. But uh, yeah, so that's a great little catch up on the history of James Bond, and yes. especially you know the movie coming out and the book we just read. It's it's good to hear that stuff and see get, get some uh, sort of I guess context for for what what we're seeing.
2: Before we go, yes, just just you did put the picture up. I did. Uh, I have here a toy I bought with my own money in <laughs> 1964 at a store called A which is long out of business, <laughs> and it's a Corgi car of the Aston Martin. DB5 from Goldfinger and i it's a wreck. I played with this and so on and so forth. It has machine guns in the front and it has the little bulletproof shield in the back and it has a working ejector sheet and it shoots the little guy out the back. Nice. And it'll shoot him about 30 feet. Wow. That's so, pretty good. Yeah. They gave you an extra one because they knew you'd shoot it out the back and your dog <laughs> would eat it. And I still have the extra guy. He's underneath there. But uh um, oh, wow. This has been uh, played with a lot. They've, re- they've redone this car a couple of times and I think in reasonably good condition, which mine isn't. It, mm-hmm. it could use a paint job, but you can't paint them because they're not worth anything. Mm-hmm. I think this is like a five or six hundred to a thousand dollar toy. Oh wow! In in good condition. Mm-hmm. In this condition, it's probably worth a couple of hundred. But I've I've had this for fifty years. One of the few toys I have from when <laughs> I was a little boy, and I just had to bring it today because, as you say, I love bringing show and tell to a radio yes. show.
1: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> There's some history of Bond there to to, to wrap up the show. Um... That was our our, book this week. Obviously, next week we're doing The Wolf. Um, Use hashtag TCBOTW to chime in with your thoughts about that. Um, If you want to get in touch with us personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve.
0: I am at dead underscore anchoress
1: bob bob royer
2: at talking books.com
1: and follow stephanie obviously at hello cookie on her twitter um go to the website talkingcomicbooks.com com for the reviews that, that we mentioned earlier also for our our lineup of podcasts uh talking movies of brian bergerosa they just did specter so it keeps the whole oh. james bond theme going um obviously the misfits they just talked to stepan sejish so t- t- you keep that train going over the last couple of weeks where we've we, we've been talking a lot about his work um of course, we have talking valiant with Adam Shaw. Um, we've got talking games. Uh, the crew's holding it down with Stephen Canada. Uh, there's a <laughs> lot of games that just came out. There was literally yeah two of the biggest games of the year came out this week in Fallout 4 and Rise of the Tomb Raider um, and other stuff as well. We got, you know, there's it's, it's, this is Battlefront's next week. Battlefront. Right? Battlefront is next week. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, <laughs> Call of Duty's come out, Halo's come out, Assassin's Creed has come out. So it's been a, a really big uh, couple of weeks. So this is that a, time of year, man. It's definitely that time of year. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about uh, on that show, um, and talking JoJo, of course, with Mara Wood and Maria Norris. So make sure you check that out. And Maria, I know you're a misfit. I'm sorry. I have, I, I forgot <laughs> to mention it when I when I rattle off the, the people on on the show. I I, I apologize for that. Um, and the, the Misfits, along with Angela Fowler, are creating a, a writing club uh, where people, oh. people can get together, yeah, and, and give their work and sort of, you know, c- you know talk via Skype and, and share documents via Dropbox, stuff like that. There's information out about it on the site. Um, uh, uh, there's a post about it. Um, you can sh- check our uh, our Twitter for a link. So check that out. Um, it's uh, If you're interested in being a writer and you want a group of people to sort of bounce ideas off of, I think it'd be a really, really good thing. Yeah. Um, make sure you check that out and i want to i want to thank um every everyone who watched and everyone who donated to extra life this this past weekend um i ended up going for 20 hours i ended up at 5 Uh, a.m yeah Uh, i would have gone all 24 but the last two hours i was playing nobody was there was no one left watching so and also uh we we i hit my hit my goal so I, I raised okay. um a little bit over fifteen hundred dollars um nice for, for extra life. As a team, we raised a combined, I think, twenty six hundred dollars, uh, which is awesome. I mean, we were something like the three hundredth best team out of like six thousand wow. teams or something like that. Um okay. so really big thanks to everyone who who gave it was a really fun experience. It was something, I will say. It was definitely something uh, to go uh, for that long. But, you know, I I got to play a bunch of games. I got to chat with people while I was playing. You know, Steve and I played together. Me, Steve, Jackie, uh, Brad, Hugh, and a listener, Gideon, uh, played about half of the Destiny first Destiny Raid together. Do you want to hear something crazy? What?
0: There is a high probability that Gideon is actually related to Bronwyn. Really? We found this out after the raid. That's crazy. His last name is Beaton, her mother's maiden name is Beaton and it's the same it's the same area of Canada and their family is huge. There is a high probability that they're actually wow. cousins. That's crazy. Yeah.
1: That, that's really really crazy. <laughs>
0: all the people in all the world that we were raiding with the one person outside of the comic stuff and he might be related to my girlfriend. It's
1: crazy. <laughs> That's really awesome. Um, that was a lot of fun. Uh, we definitely need to finish at some yes. point. Uh, we'll get the group back together and play, play some more, but that was a ton of fun. Uh, Jackie was our, our our fire team leader, um, and she did a great job, and there was a lot of tense moments, a lot of funny moments, a lot of yelling, um, but it, it was good. It was, it was a lot of fun, uh, and, and I look forward to doing more of that, and I was playing uh Mario Maker in the in the morning. The first thing I played was Mario Maker and Jackie <laughs> sent me a code for one of Luke's levels that he made, and Luke is a little demon. That was uh, my uh.
0: favorite part of the entire <laughs> event, dude. When he sent you that message. Yeah. I'll let you
1: tell that part. Um, well, he's. They he sent me a message. Well, you talking about the tweet that I got sent from him? He sent you a video. Yeah, the video of him maniacally laughing, like the uh, the second <laughs> movie that we did. Yes. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I gave up level. I couldn't do it, so I gave it up. It was it was great. It was that was a ton of fun. We had listeners sending me codes in the chat. I was playing some of their levels. It was that was it was great. It was a lot of fun. Um, so I just want to say really quick. I want to give a shout out to people who who donated. Um, I have a lot on my list here, but my entire family, by the way, gave more than they needed to. Um, You know, my mom, my mom, my sister and my dad all donated separately. They could have donated one donation together. They all donated separately. And my mom and my sister donated multiple times. So big thanks to them. A couple of my cousins, Allison and Krista donated. Brad donated. um, And uh, Daniel Williams, Josh Wright, Christopher Calloway, um, Dave Gannet, justin townsend jackie turner declan glasgow um jason ormond uh gary sellers kelly montalbano adam forgione who's my boss uh kelly is my cousin as well sammy cassell a big donation from him Uh, maureen murphy jennifer leduc uh, my sister brian gave my brother scott um abby levine uh don witzel Uh, Lynn and Sam Von Thaden Mitchell, Adam Blotner, Adam Blotner actually wrote the Comics and Coffee theme, Uh, Melanie Emile, Rodney Carter, uh, Valerie Fischetti, uh, and Hugh Perry uh, all gave, and it's really, really appreciated, Mm -hmm. giving any money you possibly can and... Donating it all went to the Children's Miracle Network, which provides health care for children who can't afford their, their, their health care. Um, it's a really great cause. We'll be doing it again next year. Um, but thank you so much, everybody who donated. And uh, I actually
0: have uh, just a few people I'd like to thank. Absolutely. Well, you yes.
1: Know. Yeah, absolutely, Steve.
0: Um, my uh, my mom, of course, uh, she actually donated twice and donated a, uh, a six-month uh, donation. So for the next six months, they're going to receive money, which I thought was really awesome. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Hoover was super generous along with, uh, Beth Walensky, uh, Lauren colleagues really stepped up big and gave a nice donation. My friend, Chris Beller, um, family friend, Barbara Dean. And, uh, of course, uh, I threw in and as did, uh, my girlfriend as well. And, uh, yeah, with everything, it's funny it, the, the monthly total didn't show up, but I managed to raise, uh, $300 to throw on to the, uh, Onto the pile, yeah. and I wasn't really considering. I wasn't streaming that much. It was a, a pretty nice turnout. Yeah, and um, just thank you to everyone who, uh, you know, who watched and who who didn't even watch but donated anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have a lot of people um, that had mailed me saying that they were late to the game, but are more than ready to donate next year. So I think next year is going to be huge.
1: Yeah. And I want to say too, anybody who's out there, if you didn't donate before the marathon, you can, you can donate all year round to extra life. It's not something you have to wait a year for. So if you, if you want to throw some money in and in, in, in donate to them, you absolutely can whenever, whenever you want to um, they t- t- take donations all year round. Um, and I will say too, I gave the bulk of the Patreon money this, this month to extra life. So awesome. um, thank you to everyone who gave to Patreon because an extension you gave to extra life as 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 well so thank you very much to to them um yeah it was a great time we'll we'll definitely do it again um next year uh Mm -hmm. but that's gonna do it for the talking comics podcast for this week for bob good night and steve back
0: in the studio next week
1: i have been bobby until next time on talking comics to be continued